many of you have ever done this? How many of you have ever been to a camp or other type of setting where you were involved in some sort of candle procession where you had to hold a candle and walk with it? Anybody ever have to do that? Yeah, several people. So I used to do that a lot with, uh, with student ministry work, and we would uh, take the candle and, uh, and give, the, give it all to everybody a part of the camp at the last worship time at night, and then uh, the campfire would be somewhere else in the, um, in the campground, and so they would actually walk with their candle to the, to the campfire, and uh, it could become a little more challenging on some years than others, depending on the, the, the wind, uh, but it was something that, that we would do as a part of this uh, procession, and oftentimes we'd even speak about it almost in, in the sense of a commissioning time, because we'd been at camp all week long, and there was this protected moment where we were kind of insulated from so much, and, and now we're about to step out and, and, and and leave camp and go back into, quote-unquote, the real world, into a different world, into a new world maybe that God's opened our eyes to that we had not seen before. And so I was thinking in terms of even tonight, those who are stepping into a new world, you, you've lived in Argyle for a long time maybe, but now you're stepping out into this new world of this church plant. Or uh, I'm step, I, I, I've, I know graduation is coming, it's about here, but now I'm stepping out into this, into this new world, right? I would, I would say the first thought that I had when I was walking through those memories of all those processions and commissioning times was that it was so very important for me to hold the candle. I had to hold the candle. Uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I was in nursery as a newborn, right? My, uh, my first memories in, uh, inside of church were, uh, Really, most of my first memories were of church things. I remember specifically as a preschooler, one of my first preschool moments was being a sunbeam. And most of you probably know what a sunbeam is. But if you grew up in Baptist church from like day one, Sunbeam is the preschool missionary movement back in like the 60s, 70s. And, uh, and, and so I, I remember in that moment, matter of fact, I remember it so clearly. I even remember the song, a sunbeam, a sunbeam. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam, a sunbeam, a sunbeam. I'll be a sunbeam for him. And that was, that was the moment, right? And I, I remember from whenever I was just four, but I didn't understand what it really meant. I didn't have a clue what it really meant until really I, I got to the big, ripe old age of nine years old. Because when I was nine years old, our church was without a pastor at the time, but I actually uh, 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 was in the service listening to the sermon. And as a part of the sermon, the preacher at the time was an interim pastor who was actually a missionary on furlough from Africa. And he was speaking to the church on something very simple, the gospel. And so he was giving this gospel presentation, and at the end of it, I just realized everything that he said, it was like he was speaking right to me. And, and, and the way I think of it, it was like all the flannel graphs of the first nine years of my life just became, you know, some of you are like flannel graph, I don't, it's, it's new, it's coming up, it's, it's the new and upcoming thing. They became real. And as Jesus started to become very real to me, I recognized my need for a Savior, and that I needed him. And uh, for the first time in my life, I did what no one else could do for me. I held the candle myself. It was salvation that Christ had offered and that I received. 
Some of you may be in that place and, you know, you don't have to even walk to the end of a sermon before maybe you realize that God's been speaking to you. And even in the first few sentences of tonight, you would say, you know what? Yeah, the Holy Spirit just hit me. I have not ever held the candle myself. Because it's really easy, as a matter of fact, even as an adult to go through so many different stages of life and even religiosity, but never get to the point where we hold the candle ourselves. We may have relatives that hold the candle. Maybe our parents have held the candle. Maybe our own kids hold the candle. Maybe we've gone on mission trips and done a variety of service projects and volunteered for many different things through our life. We were baptized even maybe as a baby. Maybe you've read your Bible and talked to God and you even know who Billy Graham is and you actually voted for a Republican once and you've gone to a Lecrae concert. And I mean, it just, the list can go on and on and on. You've downloaded some Toby Mac. But the reality is none of that means that we hold the candle. None of it means that we've come to this moment where we would say, yes, if I were to die today, I know that I would spend eternity with you, God. And that might be exactly where you are tonight. And you would say, I I thought I came here for a whole lot of different reasons, but that's what I really needed to hear. That he offers a solution for my sin problem because Romans 3.23 says all of us have sinned. And 6.23 says in Romans that the wages of that sin is really death. And so we have a desperate need to get back to God because there's this separation that's been created because of our sin. And what Jesus has done is he's taken our place. He accepted all of that on the cross. And his death on the cross paid for those sins. And his resurrection proved that he really is who he says he is. And that he had power to do what he said he would do. And so if we have moved to that moment, and if you haven't, you're going to have an opportunity to do that before the night's out. But if you have moved to that moment and you're holding that candle, then here's what Jesus says about those little Christs who hold that candle. He says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What does my light do? It's to light up this world with his presence. Isaiah 2.5 says, let us walk in that light of the Lord. And in this next verse in Jude, I believe it speaks to the reality of the faith that we live out and the fact that no one else can do this for us. You see, in Jude, chapter, Jude, the only chapter of Jude, Jude 1, verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. I've always been amazed by those two words there, building yourselves that we are responsible in this faith, that we own it. You know, we, as seniors, you, you wind up graduating and starting to own quite a few things. Uh, you start to own 
things like maybe what does or doesn't happen to your car. And, you know, if you don't wind up keeping it up, then all of a sudden you wind up stranded on the road or, you know, there's, you, you run out of gas or the engine blows up or, you know, there's a tire that goes out or whatever. But, you know, I think there's also the side of paying bills where if you don't pay a bill, all of a sudden a debt collector becomes your very best friend, right? And some of that stuff sounds really, really scary, uh, but here's, you know, it gets even worse, you know. If you don't keep up with the task with the job, then what happens is you all of a sudden find yourself looking for another job or at least looking for parents home again. I don't know. But here's the reality. Our connection with God our connection with his people, you see, that becomes our responsibility. Nobody else can do that for us. Have you ever been outside during a campfire and you turn around and all of a sudden there's no light? And I I would say that oftentimes what happens is because it just wasn't protected well. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, Sometimes, remember, there's one camp, one, one camp that I was a part of, and they all had these types of things built. Now, I just made this like this because this was easy, but somehow they had taken plastic cups, really hard plastic cups, and taken a drill. And I still to this day don't know how they really did it because every time I've ever tried it, the cup just shatters on the bottom. But taking a drill and created a hole in the bottom of the plastic cup and put the, the, um, put the, the candle through it, and then it becomes more protected, right? And I always thought that was the coolest invention. Matter of fact, the camp that I was a part of that did this, you know, just about everybody got to the campfire successfully with this particular invention for their candle. It was far better than this little drip guard thing that really doesn't work at all. I mean, how many of you own third degree burns because of this? This is absolutely worthless. But, you know, I'm I'm thinking about this whole protective side of the candle and how important that is. And I believe it speaks to Romans 12.1. Because in Romans 12.1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect. Isn't it interesting that at the point of salvation, what God doesn't choose to do is remove us from the wind. He leaves us in the wind. We're still to be in the world, just not allow our lives to what? Romans 12, 2, be conformed by it. Or actually, later, Paul writes, we are to be conformed by, instead, his son. And, and, that, and that takes action. And I believe one of those actions is the action of protection. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Another song from my past. And then, count, uh, let's see, uh, Casting Crowns brought it back again, right? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then the second verse, Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Uh, oh, be careful, little feet, where you go, you know. And you finish it out. For the Father up above is looking down to crush you. No, that's not how it goes. Wrong theology. But we live in that theology. We think, well, I got to do this or else he's going to crush me. But the rest of that song says, for the Father up above is looking down with love. You see, he says, here are these rails that I'm interested in you riding on. And as you do this... 
I want you to know you do this because you recognize how very much I love you. Freedom. Uh, I, I grew up in Houston, Texas. And what that means is basically at some point in my middle school years, I had a season pass to Astroworld. Now that doesn't exist anymore. And neither do, and, and this ride actually didn't even exist by the time I got to high school, but it was uh, the, the Lost World Boat Ride. And it was at Astroworld, and uh, they renamed it later. I think they called it the River of No Return. And I loved that ride. I loved that ride because you can't really tell very well, but at the very front of that boat, you're at the back of the boat, but on the front of that boat, there was a big old Mongo steering wheel about this size, and they would pick one kid in the boat to stand up and steer that ride all the way to the end. I was so pumped when they picked me. When they would pick me to steer that boat, it was just like, I have done what I've always wanted to do all five years of my life. I am now in control. Right? The creators of that ride were far smarter than my five-year-old brain because they have tracks, guards, that were underneath the water that actually you could have put nobody there. And it would have gone to its destination. It would have gone exactly right. Because that what they knew was, if this five-year-old was behind the wheel, that ride will, it really would have been the river of no return. Those people, they would not have gone back again. <laughs> God created guardrails for, guardrails for this life, for our hearts. And the real question is, do we trust that he has created a ride within our life that is worth staying on the tracks for. We think, well, it's fine to jump the tracks. And then what happens is the fire of God goes out in our life. Now, am I still holding the candle? Yes, I'm still holding the candle. But God's power in my life, listening to him and walking in his purpose for my life, recognizing what it does as he protects and provides as I walk under the umbrella of his truth and his provision, all of a sudden that begins to change. And we say, well, you know what, he's kind of restricting. And we start to look at our candle and we go, you know what, this candle right here, I mean, Jesus is actually kind of boring. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories about God, but I don't really know that it matters to me. And I would surmise that most of us or those that we know in the room who have decided that God is boring is experiencing not a boring God, but the lack of a protected heart. Because at some point, we ended up not keeping the flame of his power and supernatural activity in our life aflame. Protection. Protection, a life. But what happens is when that life becomes unfiltered and we go, ah, oh, it's okay. I mean, God, God understands. And I think this is really funny. Because here's what happens. We, we start to walk, and any one of us can, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, what, what Paul talks about. And as we begin to walk in that life, here's what happens. We start to then 
look at how the world labels things. And, and this is how this is how it happens in adolescence, okay? I'm just going to pick on you for a minute because you're still in the front row and you're here. You haven't left yet. So in, in adolescence, this is what we do. We see all the rest in the audience here, and, and we're all guilty by association. Adults have labeled all of these things adult. And so we look at society and we say, hey, you know what? Society says, now I get to do all these adult things. I get to consume all the adult beverages I want. I get to watch all the adult movies I want. I get to go to all the adult places that I want because I have freedom because I'm at this age. Now I'm an adult. And a society says, cha-ching, now you have permission. And many people, even in the church, buy into that. But we forget Jesus was the one that we called Lord. What does Lord mean? Did we consult him? Visit with him? Or is it just what society has decided we're ready for? See, I I know 35-year-olds that are not ready for what society calls adults. As a matter of fact, I believe most of what society calls adult, a Christ follower is never ready for. Well, that was kind of hard. Um, here's the other thing. Others lit my candle. They lit it. I'll never forget, there were times when I would be the leader, right? And I'm the youth pastor and I'm walking them to the campfire and I look around and I haven't been protecting my candle. All of a sudden it's gone. And you know what? Beautiful thing. There'd always be somebody around most of the time, most of the time who had a fire and they helped my candle get relit. So I was a sophomore at Baylor and my sophomore year was just absolutely brutal. It was brutal because I did it to myself. Um, I, uh, I had been a music major all of my freshman year, and then at the end of that, I had tried out for a bunch of things and made them all. And so I was in this uh, Baylor Showtime uh, dance troupe, uh, this da- jazz dance troupe, and so, uh, and so, and so yes, I, I really can do, you know, I can do that. I'm not going to do any more of it. Uh, I could do a fan kick if I wanted to, but then I would die. And so... Um, that's, and, and I, uh, Baylor marching band, I was doing that. I was in Baylor men's glee club. I was doing all this stuff that I'd already, I'd, I'd already gained a position for, for my sophomore year, but I didn't like music anymore. So that was kind of a problem. So then, so then I decided, well, I'm going to do psychology. So I did psychology as the major. And now that's like kicking my rear end because I just didn't really like that much anymore either. And so that whole sophomore year, I was incredibly busy so busy that I had pretty much been walking around most of the year without a candle lit. That I still have Jesus? Yes. But busyness had just, I mean, I did a lot of good things, but nothing that was the best. And by the end of my year, I had signed up again to go to a camp in Mississippi to be a counselor. And it was the second year that I was going back. And a friend of mine that I had met my sophomore year had also signed up for that camp. And his name was Jim Thomas. And we went to that camp together. He actually became my roommate my junior year. And it was so much a God thing because here's what happened. God paired me up with a guy by the name of Jim who had an amazing amount of passion for Jesus. Matter of fact, I didn't know anybody else who had a fire like he did. 
you know what happened that summer into that junior year? He tilted his candle toward mine because he got close to me. And I think it's a pretty cool picture of Proverbs thirteen twenty. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I think when we're in high school, our parents kind of focus in on only one part of that. Don't walk with fools, you're going to be a fool. But how very important it is for us to walk with wise. The small group that we attend, church, the person that we marry, the friend that has the greatest amount of influence in our life, And we walk with these people, why? So that we become wise? So that our wisdom and their wisdom rubs off on each other? Okay, that's part of it. But I think it's also because we need that encourager who dips their flame into ours and comes alongside us when they recognize that our fire is out. Maybe that's why the writer of Hebrews wrote, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So the question is, have you positioned your life next to another in such a way that you guys are wise together? And I'm not just talking about the seniors on the front row. Do each one of us live in that reality, you see? The converse is also true. It was difficult to light my candle when nobody else around me was lit. Now, (laughs) I remember one distinct campfire where I was leading the pack and I'm headed out to the campfire because I'm going to be there and, you know, take everybody and show them what to do and everything. And and everybody's coming. And my my fire goes out and I turn, I kid you not, the wind had been blowing so hard, like the first 20 people in our line, all the fire was out. And, uh, And I'm like, stumbling all over myself. I mean, it's dark outside. We're walking around this lake. I'm tripping over roots. I mean, it just gets, it just gets hard. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I'm going to walk with people who also have light. In 2013, I went on this mission trip to Siberia. That's a long way away. One of the days that I was there, they asked me to preach at a church. And so I go get in this car and we start to drive. And this church is out in the country in the middle of nowhere in Siberia. I know. And so now I'm like two and a half hours outside of the largest city. We drive up into this community of about 12,000 people. We go to this church. We walk into the church. I sit down to get ready to preach. I turn around. There's about 100 people in this church. I give the, the message, and uh, we have, uh, we have a, a time of, of, uh, of lunch afterward and a sharing time. It was just a great time. We have that picture, too. Here's some of the people that were there. Uh, there's Jesus in the background. Uh, they never took that down from Easter. And um, funny enough, every picture that we took that day, they wanted Jesus to be in it, which is also an interesting thought. So we're, we're hanging out there with Jesus, talking, and uh, he's not saying much. And, um, and here's what's crazy. What's crazy is I was just reminded once again by these people how so very important it is to walk together in community. 
I asked them, I said, what other churches in your community? They said, well, there's one other church in our community. I said, one other church? Yes, one other church. Well, how big is that church? Well, it's six people that meet in the living room. 12,000 people, 100 at this church, six at the other one. And as I began to talk with them, I realized they were bonded so incredibly tight with each other. Because you know what? They lived in a community where it wasn't just people didn't have a light on their candle. There weren't any candles. And for some of you, you're headed off into places that are very, very dark. And you haven't even gotten there yet to experience it. Matter of fact, some of us walk into a job every single week and it is very, very dark. Your neighborhood is dark. For some ladies in this congregation, you come here alone. We have a ministry called Woman to Woman and it's for women who come to church alone. And your spiritual life is very dark because you're the only believer in your home. And you come to church alone. And what I would say is, it's so very important, conversely, again, back to point number three. For those of us who have light to come together with others who do and provide that support and encouragement, even in Argyle. I know it's not Siberia. But God calls us to come together and say, you know what? We're going to be together and we're going to live in this unity together. Because you know the dark side of candle procession is that God's going to call us to do things that at times, and we're coming toward the end here of candle 101, there's times when we walk with this candle lit and we get burned. And we need to be in community for that too. And you say, well, is that, is that burned because like you did something bad? I'm not talking about didn't protect it. I'm talking about, well, I mean, actually the book of Hebrews and third day spoke of this. Our God is a what? Third day fans or book of Hebrew fans? Consuming fire. That our God is a consuming fire. That what he calls us to do may be way outside of what we expect. And it very well may be that God calls us to take up our cross and follow him in ways you never thought you would do. God reveals stuff to us that breaks our heart. And he reveals sin in our life that moves us to repentance. And God takes us places that require faith we aren't sure we have. I believe our faith is going to cost us something. You see, when he said, take up your cross and follow me, what did his cross take him to? Death. And I'm just thinking, church, if our faith hasn't cost us anything, we may have to take a step back and evaluate our faith. Because if we are truly following hard after him, trusting him, allowing him to protect our heart, listening to him regarding the conversations he wants us to have with others and the stands that he wants us to take in this world, then the truth is, if we do those things, we are going to get burned for his glory. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this in The Cost of Discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. 
Alistair Begg, the senior pastor of Cleveland's Parkside Church, wrote these words, If you live in such a manner as to stand the test of the last judgment, you can depend upon it that the world will not speak well of you. A couple more thoughts about candles. You know, the more attention that we give the candle, the better it stays lit. I wanted to give these candles on the stage a whole lot better attention, so I made sure they were in these glass containers that had rims pretty high up above the flame. I remember my second visit to the UK, and uh, we were hanging out with this uh, pastor and his family and uh, having a a really great experience there. And then he invites me to drive his car. And if you've not driven in the UK before, um, it's it's a bit of a challenge. Uh, They're on the wrong side of the road. You're on the wrong side of the car. He gave me a stick shift, which means the gears were in my wrong hand, right? Which means, I didn't know, it took me an hour and a half to figure out where reverse was. I mean, it's great. And then you start driving and there's not stoplights, there are roundabouts. And these roundabouts have people zooming in and out of them all the time. And it's like, I, I had to stay so incredibly focused I had to give that driving task my full attention. You know why? Because that was not my home. It wasn't my home. <laughs> so, so, yeah, at one point they were like, hey, uh, you need to go, uh, if, you, if you need a place to put your backpack, you can put it in the boot. I put it in the boot. Have you seen the size of my backpack? It's not going to fit in the boot. No, it's the trunk. Oh, I didn't know that. And we're going bowling, right? And so they say, uh, and it's one of the college students who was staying with the pastor and his wife and uh, uh, said uh, to the pastor's wife, um, you know, asking about what clothing was appropriate. She said, you know, do, uh, should I wear, should, are, are you going to wear pants to, to bowl? And, uh, and not knowing that pants is the same word or what the word they use for underwear there. So the pastor's wife uh, said, um, uh, well, it, it's none of your business, uh, but you're certainly welcome to. And, uh, and that was a nice way for her to put it. But the, the wording got all crazy. Why? Because it wasn't really our home. It was a foreign land. And as followers of Jesus, we live in a foreign land. This world is not ours. So back to driving, it's so important for us to give it our full attention and to carry this light with our full attention. Here's the question, am I creating a space, a place to connect with him? To be in his word, to allow it to get placed inside my heart, to speak words to him and listen to him. What does that look like now? What does that look like this fall? John 15 speaks about our connection to him. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. We'll stop there. Last couple of thoughts. I I was able to help others when my candle was lit. I was able to help others. And that's part of what we're called to do. Um, we're, we are of little help really to others when we've not allowed Christ to be of great help to us. 
God wants us to go through things with him so that we are able to show others and help others in what he is doing in their lives. Keeping the fire going, that is work. It's work. It's, 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 um, it's like a wood-burning fireplace. I mean, some of us have gas fireplaces, and that's, you know, fireplace for pansy. I get it. You know, you just kind of turn, boop, 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 it's on. And you got a wood for, wood burning place, you know, you're, you're getting the wood in there and you're keeping it. And you, you know, it's a process. It's Jude 20. It's building ourselves up. It's connecting with him and allowing our life to be surrounded with others. And it's doing that in community. And as we do that, we become help for one another. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will all who will be able to teach others also. That's, that verse is saying, it's saying, you know, what you've, you, you, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to rest back now and say, ha, I made it. No, you're supposed to invest your life in somebody else so they can invest and keep investing in that person to the point that, you know what? They become a person who invests in somebody else. First Timothy 4, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You see, there is an impact that my life has on others. Last thought. Without light, I couldn't find my way. That time when I was out front with everybody else and nobody else had a light around me and we couldn't really help each other out, that was a problem. 1 John 1, 5 says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim of our charge is love. That love is that which keeps this light lit as I give it attention, as I protect my walk, as I focus in on my attention with him and my heart is pure and I walk with good conscience and sincere faith. And as I do those things, here's what happens. As I begin to do that, I begin to see that this world is a world that needs a hope. Because the things that swirl around me, the things that swirl around us, all this activity, it fools us into believing that this world doesn't need God. But what we know is this world is hopeless without God. And you see, when my fire is lit and I'm walking around with a candle that has this light, I'm able to see people and places and things the way God does. I'm able to see people and places and things the way God does. You should close your eyes with me for a moment. The greatest thing that you can leave here with tonight isn't a check mark in the church attendance box or a good feeling about Rock Point because they care about seniors. I believe the greatest thing that you could walk away with tonight is a change in your eternal destiny that you truly believe Jesus when he says he has come, that you might have life and have it to the full, that you would have a full life now and for all of eternity. 
and that Jesus really is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. So the question that I would ask you right now is just simply this. Do you hold the candle? And if you don't, maybe you would just say that to God right now. God, I believe that Jesus died for me. I'm a sinner. I need the salvation that you're offering through your son, Jesus. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. By faith, I receive the gift of salvation. Be my savior. Be my king. For some of you, you just say, you know what? God, protection of the candle has not been a high priority for me, for my family, for my children, for my life. I want to walk in your power. I want to see things the way that you see them. I want to live with your purpose, God. Part of that comes in protecting that which you've entrusted to me. For out of it flows the wellspring of life. For others of us, about four of those points tonight all had to do with relationships with others. And you were impacted by that. By the people you allow in and out of your life and what impact you have on each other. Talk to him about that. See what God has to say. See where you direction. Some of you were impacted by that thought that God does involve a consuming fire. Maybe he's calling you to do things. It's going to take faith. And maybe what you would say is, God... step at a time because I believe in you. Father, whatever it is that you've brought to our attention tonight through just a long cylinder of wax, God, may you use that for your glory. As we conclude the service with communion, as we remember the death of your son Jesus and are thankful for all you've done. God, may this final time of communion, this time of communion tonight, God, as we finalize this service, God, may it be a time that our hearts are full of love for you. So we're listening to you. you. We're responding to you. And as we leave, God, we're going to faithfully walk your truth. In Jesus' name.